you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We're reading from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that man, sorry, a little bit of light, it was not that man, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed at this time. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbours and those who had seen before, he, who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the Pharisees, they brought to the Pharisees the man who'd formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Andrea for reading that and I don't think we could have planned that better Andrew to actually need a light on this morning when we're talking about Jesus the light of the world. Uh, Good morning church Uh, as Mike said my name is Zach and I get the privilege of serving one of the pastors here uh, at City on a Hill. Um, This morning before we dive in uh, I just want to pray uh, a prayer that is traditionally prayed on the second week of Advent um, as we come to God's word. Uh, Let's pray that he would help us to understand his word. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 When the great moment came and the beast spoke... He missed the whole point for a rather interesting reason. When the lion had first begun singing long ago, when it was still quite dark, he had realised the noise was a song and he had disliked the song very much. 
and made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. Then when the sun rose and he saw that the singer was a lion, only a lion, as he said to himself, he tried his hardest to make himself believe that it wasn't singing and never had been singing, only roaring as a lion might in a zoo in our own world. Of course, it can't really have been singing, he thought. I must have imagined it. I've been letting my nerves get out of order. Who ever heard of a lion singing? And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you, are oft, that you often succeed. Uncle Andrew did. He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else, even if he wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words, he only heard a snarl. And when the beast spoke in answer, he heard only barkings, growlings, bayings and howlings. For those unaware, uh, this is a quote from the book The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. It's a part of the Chronicles of Narnia saga. And the reason I wanted to start the sermon this morning with that quote is because if it so eloquently demonstrates the realities of what our texts are pointing us to today. Now, I've really only got one point this morning, one thread or theme to help us navigate this sign and what it points to. And I'm going to call that the way of seeing. Uh, during the week, Zoe, my four-year-old, had her kindy graduation. Uh, unfortunately, she didn't think too much of it, so she spent the entire thing in tears. But she'd been uh, learning the, a song for the, the previous couple of weeks uh, to sing at this graduation. And one part of the lyrics struck me as I was preparing for this sermon. Uh, part of the lyrics say, knowledge, actually there's actions, knowledge is our guiding light. Now, I know, what you're, uh, I know what they're trying to say. Uh, that education is the key to a brighter future, and obviously there's some helpful truth to that. But it also stands out as a condemnation against humanity that we are so convinced of our own knowledge, our own intellect. We are so captivated by our own minds that we often end up worshipping our intellects instead of acknowledging that the only reason we have life and light is because Jesus opened our eyes to see. Now hear me, this is not a swipe at the intellect or understanding. God has given us minds to long to, uh, they long to investigate and discern and know, but as this story in John chapter 9 will go on to show us, if we rest on our intellects, we will remain blind to God. And just as importantly, God doesn't expect blind trust from us. But he is the one who gives us everything we need in and through Jesus, the light of the world. So this story starts out with Jesus, Jesus noticing a man born blind and immediately his disciples ask a question revealing their own blindness. They ask whether the man sinned or his parents sinned that he was born blind. Now, this might be an odd question for you and I to hear today, but in those days, it was a, a fairly common belief. And in fact, uh, in many other religions around the world, even still today, it is still held that bad behavior results in ill health or ill fortune. 
But Jesus' answer is interesting. He doesn't speak to the wider implications, but he says that it was neither the man's sin nor the parent's sin, but that, uh, that the man was born blind. But it was, he was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed. Now, this can be really jarring for us to hear, especially in our modern day. Uh, and I don't want to pause here for too long, but let me quickly speak to two things. Firstly, Jesus is not, in this statement, making a blanket remark about the results of sin. The Bible does not allow for a universal principle to be established between someone's sins and their ill health. This is effectively what the book of Job is dealing with. A second quick thing, what do we do with the idea that God allows suffering to display his works? Again, we cannot apply a universal principle to this. The reality is due to our sin, our world is broken. And within that brokenness, all people, God's children and others, face suffering and hardship to varying degrees. The Bible does not give us a definitive answer to the mystery of suffering and all its complexities. We simply can only trust the words of Jesus in order to navigate and understand this world of sin-caused darkness, we must look to the light of the world. Jesus then doubles down on the, the lack of profitability of this conversation. He says in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then Jesus describes the kind of work he is talking about in verse 5. He says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, we have worked to do. Let's not get bogged down in things which ultimately aren't for us to know. The work which the Father has given to Jesus, to his disciples and to you and me today is the work of showing that Jesus is the light of the world. And the miracle that follows uh, kicks off Yet another controversial situation for Jesus as he continues to show that he is the Son of God, the Lord over creation and the Lord over the Sabbath. Now, the actual miracle itself only takes up two verses worth of content. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that Jesus spit in some dirt, made some mud, rubbed it over his eyes, told him to go and wash in a pool. And miraculously, when the man did this really strange chain of events... He returned with his eyes seeing. And it's here that the rubber really starts to meet the road. More characters are introduced and each of them utilised specifically by John to help illustrate the main point of the way of seeing. So as we begin walking through these next verses, I pray that um, what will be absolutely clear to you is the irony that an unlearned, begging blind man has a better grasp on the reality of who God is than the religious elite of Jesus' day who would pride themselves on their knowledge of the law and their strict keeping of the law and of all the additional non-scriptural uh, rules that they put in place to try and keep the law, the greatest irony being that they thought they were pleasing God. So first up, as we jump into our text this morning, we meet the man's neighbours. 
Now let's read from verse 8 through to 12. It says, The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. The neighbours simply cannot believe it. Some people don't even think it's the same guy, but he is adamant that it is indeed himself. And once he's finally convinced his neighbours, did you notice how we start to witness the light shining? Verse 10 and 11, the neighbours ask him, how did this thing happen? And his response, while simplistic, it ignites something amazing. He says, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes and told me to wash. There is no highly intellectual epiphany of who Jesus Christ is. There is no well-rounded articulation of the gospel. There is just the simple reporting that Jesus had worked. In Matthew's account of Jesus' life, we hear Jesus mentioning light also. Speaking to his disciples and all those who had gathered to hear him teach, he tells them in Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now in our text today, seeing this man begin to tell his neighbours that it was Jesus who healed him, we begin to see a beautiful picture of what Jesus is calling his followers to here in Matthew chapter 5. We know from context that Jesus is not saying that it is our light shining. It's the light of Jesus, the light of his life which has been given to us. And the call from Jesus is not to hide that light but to boldly and courageously shine it for all to see. This man in his simple and naive way is probably doing a better job of this than I think I've done. I know that my greatest concern isn't that the people see the light of Jesus, but that they see me and that they like me and are impressed with me. I had to admit this fear to Nathan the other day over coffee. We were meeting at our favourite cafe, uh, which is also where my barber is, because I'm fancy like that. But I had to admit that I was more concerned that my barber, the one I'd sort of been saying to Nathan, I wish I, wish I could share the gospel with this guy, I was more concerned that my barber thought I was an all right bloke instead of sharing and shining the love and light and life available only in Jesus. And doing that by even just the most basic of means, talking about what Jesus has done for me. And as we discussed our mutual fears, we came to the realization that our, our biggest issue isn't that we don't, sorry, our biggest issue is that we don't absolutely and completely trust that the gospel of Jesus Christ really is good news for everyone. Today, church, I hope our hearts are warmed 
as we witness this man born blind, have the eyes of his heart ever opened to the greater and greater realities of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what that means for our sin-broken lives. Because ultimately, the only way that you and I are ever going to break through, have the, the courage and the boldness to break through those social awkwardnesses or those social barriers or our own fears is to be so absolutely convinced who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And may we learn that lesson this morning, seeing this blind man not just physically come to see, but spiritually come to see and be absolutely convinced. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're wondering, what, G, what did Jesus do? You see, this whole story uh, that we're in today, it's setting up what we call the gospel, which simply means good news. And it's good news because, as we see from this story, all of us are blind beggars. Later in the New Testament, uh, Paul the Apostle, he writes a letter to Christians in Rome, uh, telling them about how because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, God um, has given humanity up to darkened minds and hearts. He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, every single one of us has turned our hearts from God. Our hearts have become places of darkness. There is no light to see, no ability to understand God, no capacity to choose sight or choose light or choose life. Each and every one of us are just like Uncle Andrew. We re refuse to hear that the roaring and singing, so that the singing of the lion is his creation song, that it's uh, the work of God working miraculously. We are absolutely convinced that it could not be that. And so we just stand here telling ourselves over and over again in our darkened hearts and minds that it's simply a lion roaring. So we are lost in our sin and darkness. But thanks be to God, because he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to show us that he is the light and life, and he gifts us this life through substituting himself in our place. In fact, Paul, in another place in the New Testament, he says that for our sake, that he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived perfectly the life we could not live. He died in our place on the cross, the death that you and I deserve to die. And he rose three days later, triumphantly over sin and death, in life victorious. And we are promised that those who trust in Jesus, those who see that Jesus is the light of the world, that they will have life in Jesus and right standing with God. And this whole beautiful and compelling vision of life and light in Jesus Christ was now sitting right in front of the Pharisees, these religious leaders. And these are the ones who, they knew God's law. And they designated themselves as the keepers of God's law. They were, 
missing the forest for the trees, not seeing that God's own son, Jesus, was right there showing them what the law actually meant. As the story continues, the man's neighbours take the formerly blind man to these Pharisees and their intentions, the the neighbours' intentions are probably good. They probably just want to get a leader to see what's going on and uh, maybe help them understand how this could possibly happen. But instead of being amazed by this miraculous healing, instead of being overwhelmed by joy that a brother who could not see now miraculously sees, they are actually enraged that someone would do this on the Sabbath, on the day that was meant to be kept holy. On the day when only worshipping God would happen, They don't end up worshipping God. They end up worshipping their law. They don't take the cue to see Jesus as the light of the world. Instead, they look to themselves and their own understanding. And here we have this great collision of statements. We get to witness the man's growing understanding of who Jesus is collide with the hardening hearts of the Pharisees. And the unspoken encouragement in this text is to be like the blind man. Be like the one who knows their blindness and seeks light. We see in verse 16, the Pharisees declare, this man is not from God. Contrast that with verse 17, the formerly blind man says, he is a prophet. Then after a useless interview of the man's parents, The leaders question him again and it becomes very clear that their hearts are stubborn in their blindness. As we come to our major pastoral points in this passage, I want to read this final interaction between Jesus and the leaders. Come with me to John chapter 9. I want to read 10 verses for us, verse 24 through to 34. It says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Can you see the irony of their convictions? Can you see the sad reality of their hearts bent against the word and will of God. Can you feel the cruelty that leaks out of their words and actions as this man is cast out, kicked out of a place that was meant to be the very meeting place of God and man? Both the warnings and the encouragements are clear to us this morning. Firstly, we are so caught up 
sorry, question, are we so caught up in a system of how God must work that we lose sight of the beautiful reality of God's saving grace in Jesus? The quote I used from the beginning from uh, the magician's nephew comes to mind here. Uncle Andrew had such a hard heart about something amazing that was happening right in front of him. The beauty and wonder of what he was witnessing became this dull and empty and lifeless critique. A critique of someone who had their eyes fixed on a system of belief and not on the joy of who Jesus is. The joy of seeing Jesus do what he said he would do. I was extremely encouraged recently. We had five people get baptised a few weeks ago. And two of these people were brand new Christians. Three of these uh, had, like this man, came to a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he did for them in the gospel over this past year. And by God's grace, Jesus miraculously drew these people to salvation. He opened the eyes of their spiritual understanding so they could see that they were blind sinners in need of Jesus, in need of the light of the world. What a joy it was to celebrate with them in their baptisms. But sadly, it's also so easy for us to get caught up in a trap of cynicism. We can question, did they do it properly? Did they come to Jesus the right way? And our hearts can quickly become cold and dark as we seek alignment with a system instead of being awestruck at the wonder of God's saving grace towards sinners. Can you hear the pride of the Pharisees in our text? Look again at verse 28. It says that they pride themselves on being disciples of Moses. Interestingly, even though they appear to love the law of God and want to zealously, piously keep it, and for, uh, they want to police it also for others, really for them the law has become the idol. The law can't do what God intended for it to do, which is point God's people to their need for him. Instead, these Pharisees have become so caught up in their own self-righteousness, their stubborn conviction that they know what's right. And not only does this section end with the hardening of their hearts, but it also ends with this sad scene of them kicking this man out of their presence, out of the place that should be where this man can come and learn more about the great God who saved him, who has given him his physical eyesight as we're And as we're seeing, his spiritual eyesight also. Church, here's a helpful guiding phrase for us to learn and love this morning. Doctrine for doxology. Now, what does this mean? Maybe two words you're really unfamiliar with. Firstly, doctrine is just a fancy theological word for what we believe. Secondly, doxology... uh, rather cool and interesting old school word that means the praise of God. Here's a simple warning. If your doctrine, what you believe, doesn't cause you to a life of doxology, of praising God, either your doctrine is no good or your heart is no good, both are equally as dangerous. second warning that comes from our text today is to 
ask ourselves, am I basing my righteousness, my right standing with God on anything other than the free gift of life and light graciously given through the miraculous work of Jesus Christ for me? This entire chapter of John has been pointing us to the truth that all of us are blind beggars and the way of seeing is to accept the free gift of spiritual sight by Jesus and come to see that the Lord, that he is the Lord, that we believe in him and that we worship him alone as this man does in verse 38. The text sets up this irony as we and asks a very important question. Are we those who know their blindness and therefore our need for sight? Or are we those who think that we see but are actually blind? Blind to who God is, who Jesus is, and what he came to do in his life, death, and resurrection. Now, thanks be to God, there are actually some... That's my daughter, by the way, so just let that go. Now, to the encouragement of our text this morning. Christian, maybe you're hearing all of this today and realising you have no joy. You have no awe-struckness. No doxology or praise of God. You might be able to articulate the intricacies of the gospel. You might be able to argue all the finer points of what the Bible says, but you find yourself sitting here right now, lifeless, joyless, and ultimately comfortless with regards to Jesus. Brother, sister, let our hearts be warmed this morning by the simple words of this man. Off the back of the intense questioning and reports, he reports back to them in verse 25. We've read it already. He says, one thing I do know. I don't know about all that other stuff. You're asking me whether this guy uh, is really from God. You're asking me whether this guy keeps all the laws. You're asking me if I, if I know if this dude understands the Sabbath and what's going on. I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know who he is. I don't know what all this other stuff going on is. All I know is once I was blind, now I can see. Christian, remember your blindness. Remember your former state and remember that by grace alone, through faith alone, you were given new eyes and a new heart to see and behold Jesus, the light of the world. As the preacher Charles Spurgeon wonderfully articulates, uh, the way of seeing is the way of the blind. He says, it is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It's not our weakness that hinders Christ, it is our strength. It's not our darkness that hinders Christ, it is our supposed light that holds back his hand. Christian, you were brought from death to life because God so loved you that he gave Jesus who willingly died on that cross in your place. He gave Jesus, who took upon himself the full weight and penalty of our sin, of your sin, of my sin. He took it upon himself. And because of this, Jesus gives to his people new eyes 
to see God, to see the miracle of new creation, that we are no longer blind beggars, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Church, if there's any place that we should be able to sit and just have this joy well up in us as we hear that creation song being sung, our eyes open to mountains forming, oceans filling, trees growing, animals prancing, things, beauty in creation being created. Um, I hope we're all picking up on the metaphor that I'm putting down right now, the metaphor of that new creation life that is happening inside each of us as we sit here this morning, as we hear the gospel proclaimed from God's word, as we sing together of the goodness of God towards us, as we get alongside one another and we call that new creation life out in one another. I hope that we can sit here this morning and have this joy welling up inside of us, that we get to live in the beauty of Christ's new creation gift to us. Church, he has given us sight to see Jesus, the light of the world. The sad reality is that there's a good chance that there are some of us sitting here this morning bitter and hard. unable to see the light of God's glorious good news. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe it's been a hard road. Maybe there's trials in your life that have just beat you down and now you look to this message and you you try to understand how can this be good news? How can people be sitting in this room and be having anything wonderful or beautiful happening? How can there be light and life when all I know is pain and suffering and hardship. I don't have this life and joy of Christ. I'm tired. <laughs> I don't usually cry this much, but it was Mark's fault. <laughs> Church, hear the call this morning from this text. Be like the blind man. See your need for eyesight. Understand your need to come and fall on your knees and know that Jesus is giving you, through his grace alone, your salvation and freedom from sin, your life and joy in who Jesus is. That you wouldn't be sitting here this morning stuck in bitterness and hardship, whether because you're stubborn in a particular system or way of doing things, whether you're stuck in sin and bitterness and unforgiveness towards other people, whatever it might be that you feel you're stuck in, church, to be like the blind guy. Come to Jesus. Receive your sight today. And together we get to declare, as he does in verse 38, Lord, we believe. And we worship Jesus together. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a well-known song, Amazing Grace, and it was written by a man named John Newton. Uh, John Newton's life was an extraordinary one and a life that uh, wonderfully reflects the life-giving and sight-giving miracle of Jesus' gospel to us. Uh, John Newton spent a lot of time in his life as a slave trader. 
And one stormy night, as it seemed like the waves would continue to crush and destroy the ship that he was on, he began to cry out to God to be rescued. And God rescued him. Interestingly, this miracle, while it it did cause John Newton to be thankful, it seemed like it was only the beginning of his coming to truly see. It was six years later that he finally left the slave trade. But he reports that over that time, God worked through his word. He worked through the comfort of the Holy Spirit to slowly grant him his spiritual eyesight. He saw his wrong, his need for deep repentance. And he saw most of all that unless God gives sight, unless God grants that our hearts might see Jesus, love Jesus and come to the same conclusion as this man, that Jesus is Lord and is to be worshipped. Without this, we have no hope in ourselves. We have no hope in this corrupt world. Our only hope is in Jesus, the one who for our sake became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. While we're singing this song this morning, if you'd like prayer for anything, Mel, our Women's Discipleship Minister, and myself, we're going to be standing here in the middle. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. I recognise a little bit of awkwardness. It's in the middle of a cinema. We don't have a nice hidey hole for a prayer room at this point. But I, can I encourage you, don't let the awkwardness of this room stop you from coming down and letting us take these things to our Heavenly Father in prayer and join with you and support you as we continue to come to Christ, the light of the world, asking each and every day, help me see. Church, let's pray together as the band comes. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for your word. We praise you for this story that we have written down for us now of you meeting this poor blind beggar in the street and not only granting him physical healing of his eyes, but Father, that greater need of his spiritual blindness. Thank you, Jesus, that you opened his eyes to see and behold that you are the Lord that he believed in his heart and he worshipped you. And Father, I pray that as we sing now, as we chat with one another after the service, as we catch up for coffee, as we go into our week, as we come to read your word, as we come to pray, or as we sit and continue to think through the possibility of the truth of who Jesus is, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would be granting us sight. Father, for those of of us who are far from you, would you grant that the eyes of our hearts would be opened to see that you are Jesus, the light of the world, that you are our saviour, that in you there is freedom from sin and forgiveness of sins, that there is joy abundant and life abundant. And Father, for those here this morning who are struggling to know your joy, whether that's due to a stubbornness of our own hearts or a lack of being able to see, Father, I pray that 
as we would sit and wrestle with this text today. May our hearts be open to see that you are Jesus, the light of the world. And that in you we can have unending joy. We can continue to see your goodness and kindness to us through the miracles of people coming to know you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would just anchor this in our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.